Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone. Yes, it's been, geez, gosh damn, far too long since we did one of these. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm not going to try and be like, unfortunately, I'm just so interesting these days. I haven't really got time for these little videos, but I just... See these bags? Yeah, really busy. But I've always got time for you guys, and I've always got time for Star Trek, and more importantly, I've always got time for dolphins, so let's dive back into everyone's favourite series. I can't believe I said that. Right, before we start, as ever, huge shout-out to Paul, who puts all these articles together. You should go and read them over on whatculture.com. The man scours the internet and technical manuals and his own brain and the episodes and everything to find out these bits of information. I just stand here and talk about them. He deserves your praise, so go... Go give it to him now. But let's begin. The Kelvin Timeline Enterprise. If it is possible to describe the design of a starship as controversial, this is it. Because it looks amazing. It had so much money pumped into the look of it. It had some of the brightest minds in Hollywood deciding how it should look. And yet a huge chunk of the fan base absolutely hate it. I'm not one of them. Designed by Ryan Church and Scott Chambliss and brought to life by Industrial Light and Magic, the Kelvin Timeline USS Enterprise was intended to be the hot rod starship the Star Trek universe hadn't seen before. She had an inflated scale, she had ample warp nacelles and a beautiful, if blindingly lit, interior set. What do we know about it? What did we know about it that you... What, what did Paul find out about it that's told me and then I'm going to... What, what is there to be learned is the question because they haven't really published a lot of works around it because the Kelvin timeline sort of exists outside of the nerd sphere. Like, people don't delve as deep into that stuff because it's just some fun film. So they've not really put as much out there for us to garner information from. But nonetheless... We, and by we I mean Paul, have found things. So my name is Adam Cleary, welcome back to the Dolphin series, and these are 10 secrets of the Kelvin Enterprise you need to know. Number 10, ample everything. Right, if you cast your minds back, way, 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 way back to the first teaser trailer we got of the 2009 Star Trek reboot. Remember, it had no footage from the movie in it at all. It was just this specially made construction video of the Enterprise being made. It was genuinely like spine tingling, little arms on your hairs, arms on your hair stuff, arms on your hair stuff. Then the eagle-eyed amongst us sort of compared the sizes of the construction crews on the ship with what we knew about the size of the original series Enterprise and were like, that is 
That's bloody massive! And it was. J.J. Abrams announced it was 2,380 feet long, over twice the size of the original Enterprise, and even longer than the Galaxy-class Enterprise D that was supposedly built 100 years afterwards. And you got to remember, at the time, we did not know anything about the story being a time travel thing with the timeline splitting completely differently. We just knew it was a reboot. We thought it was going to be largely following the same plot beat. So that was, like, bizarre. Why on earth is it so big? And the reason for that is simply because they made it the correct size initially and they looked at the original shots of it and J.J. Abrams went this has got to go on IMAX screens guys it hasn't got the grandeur these close-up shots are going to need of the ship so up it goes make it bigger and so they did they made it absolutely massive because on a cinema screen in 2009 the original Enterprise would look tiny and small and very unimpressive and this film was supposed to be large and enormous and very eye-catching so had to be a bigger ship number nine the Apple Store now you remember, don't you, when you saw Star Trek 2009 in 2009, everybody walked out the cinema and went, that was really good. That was really, really good. Enterprise looks like an Apple store, though. And while that was obviously supposed to be like a dig at the production and they just tried to make everything look as high-tech and futuristic as possible, it wasn't actually far from the mark because one of the influences for that Enterprise was the iPhone. Yeah, according to Ryan Church, in 2007, when they were heavy into pre-production, they were looking at so many different ways of making it look not different to the original series, but how they could combine more contemporary elements to make the film feel new and fresh. And Apple's enthusiasm for the iPhone, which had just come out that year, was like infectious. But the actual design of the bridge had nothing to do with Apple stores. They hadn't looked at those at all. They wanted it to look like 50s and 60s and 70s, and they wanted to keep the original vibe of the original series, original bridge, but just look at it with, and I quote, fresh eyes. And so it was actually the architecture of, and I, I've tried three or four times, you have to excuse me here, I cannot, I'm so sorry, I cannot do this name, Eero Saarinen, Saarinen. Look, if you're a big architecture expert and you're going, oh, that's not how you say it, I'm really sorry. I just, it's just such a cool name, it's beyond me. And he was the guy who designed the TWA terminal at JFK Airport in America, which is what a heavy chunk of the design actually came from. And you can kind of see it. And as well as that, there was Harry Weiss, he was an architect. He did Washington DC's Metro Terminal Corridors, which is basically what the corridors of the Enterprise are based on. It's, it's a smelting pot of very interesting architecture, this ship. It's not just an Apple store, though it is very much like an Apple store. Number eight, Budweiser Beyond. Forgot that Paul does all these really punny headlines, doesn't he? They're good. Some of them are good. Let's... All right, so J.J. Abrams didn't want lots of effect shots being used inside the ship. He wanted it to feel real. He wanted it to feel like you could reach out and touch it. He wanted it to feel like you could live in it if you so choose to. So he wanted practical sets for these. Now, this was fine for the bridge. The bridge is quite small. It was fine for the crew quarters, because the crew quarters are quite small. It was fine for the, the sick bay, the transport room, because these are easily constructed sets. What it wasn't fine for was engineering. So not wanting to make a big fake engineering room, but still wanting all these practical wires and pipes and conduits, something that wasn't like clean and crisp like the newer Star Trek stuff, something that still felt quite like explorative and new and exciting like it did in the original Star Trek. Where do they go? They went to the Budweiser plant in California. That is, that is the Budweiser plant in California. They also used the National Ignition Facility in California, which I don't know what that is, but that stood in for some other sets during its darkness. But pretty much, that engineering room was a Budweiser factory. It probably stank of very average beer. I'm so sorry, America. Number seven, multi-cores. 
So this is a weird bit of trivia. Star Trek 2009 is the only time so far a starship has appeared on screen with multiple warp cores. Adam, 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 Star Trek Voyager had two warp cores. Uh, I've, I've caught you out. No, you haven't. They were never, ever, ever. You never see both of them on screen. You only ever see that really weirdly long one get ejected. So technically, technically, it's only seen one. But 2009, Star Trek, there's loads of them. Friggin' loads of them. Hey, you remember the black hole, sir? So, oh, what can we do? What if we eject the core? Blah, blah, blah. And it cuts to that shot of the engineering section. Again, just the Budweiser facility. But now they have augmented the beer drums to now have warp cores in them. And they're like, whoosh, 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 whoosh. Loads of them all get chucked out at once, which is a bit of an interesting design wrinkle. It's a wrinkle because then in Into Darkness, they have, they go into the warp core, don't they? They physically step into the warp core and it's just one enormous circular room with no actual warp core in it. And we didn't really question that at the time because we were just having a nice time watching the movie. But yeah, given there's no design schematics, if you've ever published a technical manual for this, we don't really know how the warp core works on that chip or what even qualifies as the warp core or why there are several warp cores or why you're able to walk into one of the warp cores. It's just, they do what they want, basically. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Number six, moving parts. Right, so one thing J.J. Abrams wanted, which was a massive departure from the original design of the ship, was he wanted it to physically transform so it was very clear when it was about to enter warp drive. Kind of like how Star Trek Voyager did. It's like, ding, dong, ding, dong, when it was going in and out. He wanted something like that, but without moving the ship around too much, the best idea they had was like vents or stuff that would pop out or just things that would move very slightly right before it went to warp. They also had this idea of the deflector disc changing color and the warp nacelles getting brighter and brighter the faster they were going. And then this like iris closing around the deflector disc when it went to warp. And lots of ideas were discussed. Some even made it to screen, but nothing ever really stuck. Like even the Bassard collectors glowing brighter as the ship sped up. That is in the first two films, but they just abandoned it for beyond. Number five, accidental aesthetics. All right, so while we're on the subject of those Bassard collectors, I have to hold my hands up. I actually didn't notice this the first time I watched the film because it just looked good enough that it skipped my brain entirely. But one of the major things they changed was the color of the Bassard collectors. Like they are in all the other Star Treks, like a deep red or a glowing orange or something, but they were bright blue, bright blue in this film. And they were, like in the original designs of the ship, they kept them true to the original series. They were bright red. They played with like having a glow instead of a glass cap like they did in the original series, but they were red. They were like this glowing, ready orange all the way through production, all the way through design, pretty much until the very end of the VFX stage of the film. And what happened was when ILM were animating the ship getting sucked into the black hole, there was a number of shots where the colors are inverted during like some of the explosions. And during those shots, it showed the Enterprise with bright blue facade collectors and everybody in the room went, do you know what? That actually looks pretty nice. So they got on to J.J. Abrams and the production staff and went, look, you're probably going to want to see this. We've got a much nicer concept for your uh, for the little cap things on the end of your rocket power jet things or whatever they're called, because we're not nerds. We only work at ILM. And then Abrams looked at it and went, yeah, actually, you're right. Let's go with that. 
As a result, there are some very rare pieces of merchandise and some rare pieces of concept art that still have the orangey-red Bassard collectors, but not many, not many, that stuck. Number four, upgrades and downgrades. Paul's actually literally written as Adam Cleary would say in this part of the script, which is funny because that's, that's, that's me and I'm actually, actually going to say this. So following the whooping, as I might say, that the Enterprise gets at the end of Into Darkness, it was ruined. But then at the end of the film, when they're embarking on their five-year mission, it's not ruined. Actually, looks pretty nice. Looks like it's had a nice little, nice little, nice little fix-up, hasn't it? They've made changes. People didn't realise this because it was such a blink and you'll miss a shot. But they actually refitted the ship and made changes to it in that one ending of the film. If you look, the impulse deck at the back of the saucer section, it's totally different. It was two originally, and now it's one large, amazing thing. Why they made such a small change that hardly anybody would notice, I don't know. But it wasn't the only one. See, the thing is, for her appearance in Star Trek Beyond, which, as I'm sure you'll remember, it didn't last particularly long in, director Justin Lin asked for the design to be tweaked so it looked more stately, more magisterial, but crucially, more vulnerable. He wanted the stems connecting the warp nacelles and the neck of the ship to look as fragile as they possibly could to highlight what an inherent structural weakness that actually is. And as a result, it lasted a total of 25 minutes in that movie before having both its legs cut off and then its throat just slit because the whole point of the Enterprise being designed that way for this film was that that's just a terrible way to design a starship. Number three, a short life. Yes, as mentioned, it does absolutely bite the bullet in the first act of Star Trek Beyond, which is heartbreaking because they never destroy Enterprises. They never do that. That's a terrible thing to do. But I mean, other than all those times, they never do that. Now, while there is a bit of a habit of Enterprises lasting exactly three films, the original refit lasted three films, and then the Enterprise A lasted three films, and the Enterprise E lasted three films, this was also the shortest length of time an Enterprise has existed for in-universe, in the Star Trek movies, ever. In-universe, she was launched in 2258 and wiped off the face of the galaxy in 2263. That is five years. That is the shortest amount of time a ship has ever, ever lived for. Number two, Star Trek into Rihanna's face. Now, I ain't gonna get into all this now. Paul's actually written a really interesting look at all this in the articles, you can go check that out for yourself. But basically, the marketing opportunities surrounding this particular enterprise and the films it was associated with started very averagely and just got worse and worse and worse from there. Products were released that nobody liked, things crop up on seller sites now for virtually no money, and that did ultimately impact the box office, which then ultimately led to it getting cancelled. But he's got a better, he says it much better than I do in the article, so just go read that. But one thing this enterprise did have, which none of its predecessors had, was a tie-in music video. Why do we mention this? What has this got to do with it? Well, they had redesigned the Enterprise for this film, and this actually made it one of the first times you could ever see that. And not only that, there were several beauty shots in this music video that were not in the movie itself. They were specifically made just for Rihanna, which is extraordinary, really. The most notable of which being this beauty shot where it very slowly makes its way into Rihanna's face. That was specifically made for this music video. And look, if you like Star Trek and catchy electropop, you should probably, you should probably give that a listen. It's not right now, because I'm talking. Number one, a new enterprise. A, a 
a new, you see, it's clever. So yes, the last time we ever see the Enterprise on screen was not the Enterprise from the first three films, it was actually the Enterprise A, because of course it got destroyed, so they built a brand new one, as they did in the original timeline, because time is a flat circle. Now this was also a Constitution-class starship, I find it really difficult to say that, I say Constitution-clash all the time, but that's another thing, entirely designed by Sean Hargreaves, and it was supposed to be an evolution of the original design, paying off the stuff at the start of the film about all the design weaknesses that it had. There's actually a really good quote from Hargreaves here that I'm going to read for you. I loved the saucer that Jeffries had, Jeffries was of course the original designer, and how the edges of it were canted at a 45 degree angle. It had a beautiful line, so when the ship passes you, it looks like it's actually accelerating. And it is absolutely gorgeous. They made it wider, they made it thicker, they made it structurally more sound, they made it more imposing, they addressed all those issues that are exposed at the start of the film, and yet it's only on screen for one minute at the end of the movie, and it wasn't even supposed to be there in the first place. It was in the script two or three times, and it got taken out entirely before they decided to put it in at the end to help promise more adventures from the Kelvin timeline cast, which now looks incredibly unlikely to happen, even though there's a new story about it happening every few weeks. And the maddest thing about this is, the angle you see it from in this shot are the only angles it was completed from in terms of its CGI. Like, the other side of the ship is not finished. It's probably all low res or just grey slate. It only actually works from the angles you see it from. They didn't even finish it.